Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've said this, but please do remember to subscribe. Uh, tens of thousands of you are, I'm pleased to say. Uh, it's very simple, you just go to the subscribe button on the channel and then next door to it there's the notifications one. It means you get notifications of all the programmes as they come up. Now, my guest today is the leader of a party which, if you're old enough, you would remember from the 1980s. Maybe I'm being very, very unfair, but uh, the Social Democratic Party was very, very much a feature of political life in the 1980s. It is back, um, but we're about to find out quite how different or how similar it is to that party. Um, William Clouston uh, is the leader and he has been such since 2008. He's with me now. Thanks very much indeed for coming in, Willie. Great to be with um, you, thank you. Yes, is this something you get a lot? I remember the SDP, mm. huge breakthrough it seemed, mm. 1981 mm. to 85, 86 maybe? Yeah, late 80s really. Late yeah. 80s, yeah. yeah. Um, is your party the same party? Yes, it is because, and it, we did, we're asked about it quite a lot. Uh, it is because Owen, David Owen protected its independence, uh, refused to go into the merger with the Liberals. So its survival as a separate Social Democratic Party was really uh, reinforced then. When Owen left uh, mainstream politics in 1990, the party was kicked to the grassroots. But remember, Peter, that a, a party is, is a sort of association, isn't it? And it is its members, and its members kept it alive in pockets. Uh, I, I often say it's a bit like a bird species. You know, massive coverage, massive impact, and then it goes into decline. And you've got sort of pockets in East Yorkshire, South Wales, where we had councillors and groups, and they kept alive. And it did, it actually, from, I mean, it is actually in British politics a major force because it is the biggest challenge to the two party system that we've ever had in British political history. So it has, we celebrated our 40th anniversary. But we got very small. I mean, it, membership got to actually under 100 at one point. Oh, really? really yeah, yeah. Okay. So these things can happen. But is it the same party? Yes. Same name, same logo. Uh, well, we've changed that a little bit recently. But basically, yeah, and the same people kept it alive. Yeah. Uh, but is it the same politically? I mean, I, I think uh, <coughs> what is interesting uh, is that it seems now to be reflecting this trend which is seen in polls of people being broadly economically on the left, mm. culturally on the right. You're quite ex explicit about this on, on your website, didn't you, yeah. aren't you? What does that actually mean in practice? Um, well, yeah, you've linked it to the, the previous, to the 80s, so let's go, go through that. So th there are three things I would say that are exactly the same that we've kept from the 80s. So a commitment to electoral reform. So we're still about changing that. We're not happy. We don't think we're well-governed, I think it's evident that we're not well-governed. So that remains. A commitment to the social market remains, which is the idea that the state and the market are not opponents, they're complementary parts of the same society. And uh, 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 we're against vested interests. I think that's another thing. A lot of vested interests, a lot of policy that's made is made for vested interests, not for the whole country. And that's something that we had in the 80s and we have now. Now, the thing that's, the two things that are different, really, is that we've, we've sort of followed David Owen, really, in a, 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 a Eurosceptic uh, movement. I mean, you know that the, in the 80s, the SDP was very, very uh, pro-EU. Uh, we've become very Eurosceptic. We argued for a no-deal situation we campaigned to leave. So very Eurosceptic. And the rest of it, the sort of cultural stuff, I think, Peter, is just a reaction against 
rampant liberalism. So we, as a party, I think we reflect what's called post-liberalism. You know, it's, it's, I think we've, economic liberalism and social liberalism combined has overrun. And I think we, we need to, to, to sort of pull that back. So you'll see that in our policy set. Mm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Brexit brought sort of cultural issues to mm. the fore. I would say the issues that were absolutely there and have been there for a long, long time. But, mm. you know, the political class seems to take an awfully long time to wake up to these things. Yeah. Um, what, from that point of view, William, what kind of policies would reflect your attitude then to being, if you're, if you're culturally more centre-right, mm. what does that amount to? For example, take the BBC. What's mm. your policy on the BBC? Well, per, I mean, the, the official policy is to, I mean, I, I, I think we have major problems. Everyone knows we have major problems with the BBC. And some people say, you know, get rid of it all altogether. Um, I, I think we should scrap the licence fee. I think that's, the, I don't see, it's an inefficient tax anyway. There's no, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but you need leadership at the top of the BBC that believes in the country and doesn't want to knock it down all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's basically the fundamental thing. Did you read, you'll have, you may not have read Keir Starmer's essay. I had to, so I had to. So 14,000 words. Uh, a lot of it was just sort of fluff. Some of it we probably agree with a little bit, but the most disingenuous thing he said in it was that he, when, when he accused the Tories of, of importing an American-style sort of culture war, into this country. And that was so disingenuous given Labour's obsession with ID politics. Now that my criticism on things like the BBC and the cultural stuff is that actually that largely the, the Tories have been asleep or complacent. And they've been in government, you know, we're getting into sort of 12 years. And on, on sort of wokery and woke patois and all this sort of thing, a lot of Tories until quite recently said, what's all that about? So they literally haven't been aware of what's been going on and say so we have a policy on our cultural section whereas if any any arts organization or gallery or public institution starts editing out certain or censoring exhibits we would defund them mm. and you've got to be much harder much much more committed to free speech so uh, in terms of that you take away public money in, yeah. that, in that instance what about say for example uh a museum or gallery, national one, mm. uh, that was basically not doing what it was meant to do and take, for example, the British Library, mm. 92 million mm. pounds worth of public mm. um, money, and yet it's decolonizing everything. It, yes. Would you then stop the public money? Yeah, you, with, with, because, yes, because people, it's the same as the universities, Peter. Pe people are rushing around doing all this stuff and none, none of the people that are doing it are feeling any consequences. And until they do, they, they pay no price for this stuff. Mm. And until they pay a price, until there's got to be a meeting of, the, of what they're doing yes. and, and the consequences. Now, I don't think the government's been anywhere near as robust as it needs to be. And just go back to Starmer. It just doesn't, you can, as a politician, you can say things. If they're broadly true, people will accept it. But it, Starmer, in that case, was wide of the mark, largely the, the cultural side, the progressive modernist side that he's from. They're responsible for most of this stuff. My criticism of the Tories is it been sort of oblivious or weak or indifferent. Yeah. My uh, feeling about the Tories, I think you sort of alluded to it there, you said that they were complacent or not awake. Um, my feeling is that they have simply not understood mm. what's been happening, mm. the extent of it. And indeed, many of them still don't. <clears throat> yeah. I think they sort of think it's 
you know, PC gone mad almost. That's, that's how they see it, I no. think, many of them. It's much more sinister than that. Yeah. And yeah. it's much more, and the people that are in these institutions and putting their own uh, people in, it's much more systematic, to use their, their own phrase. I think the, the, the cure for this may be, Peter, because um, I'm an optimist, I think the cure may be that a lot of the red wall uh, seats that they've picked up, the voters, if they're going to have a correspondence with what those voters think, they better get their act together pretty quickly because the basically what they've taken is uh, Labour's patriotic hinterland. That's what they've taken. And uh, we're accustomed in British politics to think of swings, you know, there's a swing mm. to Labour, a swing to, to the Tories. But on, on the red wall, it's not a swing, it's a cultural rotation, the type of which you say, for instance, you'd get in the United States in the 60s from the Democrats to the Republicans. It's not coming back. The red wall is not coming back to, to Labour. So uh, the Tories have to wake up pretty quick. And there's some very, very good uh, new Tory MPs that are much quicker to get to the stuff. So it's that, that's typical in a large party. There'll be a tension. But I agree. I mean, a lot of the Tories, the, the standard Tory in Parliament, most of them are uh, economic liberals and social liberals. And they'll have to work it out. Mm. Yeah. If you take an issue which straddles, I would say, economics and culture is immigration. Mm. Um, I was told that you had quite a radical policy for that, but I, I don't want to. What is your policy on immigration? I, I you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, misrepresent what it is. Mm. But it was. I heard about a moratorium. Well, we, yeah, we, we, that's something we're thinking about. The the uh, the official policy on the website is just to reduce net migration to uh, to a hundred thousand, which mm. is a reasonable figure. Uh, we've got a new white paper coming out, which actually sets uh, suggests an even lower number, fifty thousand. Now, fifty thousand net was was normal. Yes, it was normal until Blair. Yeah, until Andrew Nether and all the rest of it in the project. Um, I, funnily enough, uh, Peter, I think the the case for there's a very strong case for uh, a mass immigration pause of many many years, and it's something we're going to talk about and and, and try and initiate uh, just as an idea. Uh, people think it's it's radical. No, it's actually normal. I mean, people in the United States, uh, there was very little immigration from 1920 to 1970. And obviously the 20s and 30s coincided with the, the Great Depression. There was a lot of turbulence. But the post-war period, industrially and in terms of jobs and, and pay and so on, was the golden age. There was very little immigration at all. So I think we challenge the idea that you, you know, mass immigration uh, is, is a sort of You've got to accept it. Why? I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's 70 million people on a crowded island. Uh, but I think, that, so there are cultural, very, very strong cultural arguments for reducing migration in terms of, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, integration and social cohesion. Those are obvious points. Uh, we might get to know each other a little better, mm. I think. But strangely enough, I think the, the really strong arguments are on the economics. And are, there, I think the left-wing case for lower immigration is it just takes the palm. I think that's that's really what we would. Uh, it's the prime point we'd make. Mm. Having it's a technical thing. Having a massive open labour market of 450 million can only have two effects really on your domestic workers. It puts it applies downward pressure on wages, and we've seen that uh, you know for the last 20, 30 years. And it also disincentivizes employers or government to train anyone. Mm. And why would you bother training anyone if you have this mass open labor market? So as a party, we would argue for closing uh, labor markets, for once actually looking at your own people and what do we need to do for them? 
what do we need to do we need to train enough nurses and doctors and engineers and so on we just don't do that so i think the a lot of that's already happening but i think it's a very very strong case and i think you don't hear you, you hear every time you mention immigration people always imagine it's based on culture and it is those the arguments are there but actually the arguments on the economics are there as well mm. and most working people in this country can see it and it's it's one of the things that explains the uncoupling of 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 red wall seats and red wall voters from the Labour Party because the Labour Party could never make those points and won't. Well the extraordinary thing is these so many of the arguments uh, against mass migration sure around about the time of Brexit mm. have been proved right. I mean of course wages have gone up and mm. uh, shortages have been exposed and, and you know this extraordinary just uh, you know just a total ignoring of what you might call working class people mm. uh, by by the political uh, establishment. You said a pause for yeah. years. What, mm. what are we talking about here? Well, yeah, technically, I mean, this is where this is the problem because you can't bind the next parliament. So there's a policy, you know, you make policy theoretically for five years. But what I would argue for is a long pause, you know, 20 or 30 years of very, of much lower immigration, back to where we were at something like 50,000 net, which I think is reasonable. Uh, and I think there would be benefits, like massive economic benefits from, from that mm -hmm. in terms of the domestic labour situation and cultural benefits too. And I think that's, that's you, there's no good chopping and changing. I think you need a little bit of stability. And I think culturally, I mean, I think David Goodhart's point in his uh, Red to Somewhere book, I think that one of the best lines in it is where he summarised the whole situation is that the, the progressive left have been on immigration, on mass immigration, too enthusiastic. Mm and on integration too indifferent. I think that's got to change. Well, you see, I would say my point of that is that it's not just simply that they think mass immigration is a very good thing uh, in terms of quality of life. I don't mm. think they care about that at all. Mm. Um, I, I think they actually just simply want to just dilute mm. and basically attack you know, the nation in a way. Mm. Everything that attacks the nation, mm. they, they will go for. I'm yeah, sure. and it's very stupid and very short-sighted because a lot of uh, the prime thing that they're forgetting is that the mutuality people have and a lot of the things, the building blocks, particularly people on the left should understand this, mm. the building blocks, the things we take for granted, the welfare mm. state, the national, the national health service, is, is the foundation of that is mutual solidarity within a nation state. Mm. And it's a complete fantasy world to think you have the solidarity that we have, we can convene in a nation state beyond that. We, there's a line in the new declaration where we say you know, the upper limit of democracy is the nation state. And that's, so yeah, it's a major problem. I think it's, again, I'm much more optimistic now than I was before, because I think a lot of the realities that we argue, like, as you say, Peter, things like HGV drivers getting paid better, uh, employers having to address training here because they can't just ship people in. It's this awful, view of people that they're it's sort of dehumanizing idea that mm. they're not people that are rooted in a place mm. it doesn't matter and we'll, if we have a labor we'll just ship other people in econs and just drop them in and that's i think we're finished with that and i and i think seriously the, the sort of age of liberalism that we've had is closing and i think it's because a lot of the realities that we talk about uh just come come hitting home you know if you if you have a lot of these liberals, progressives, they have ideas that just don't correspond with reality. It's mm. all right in their own little dream, but it's like the EU, it, when it comes into contact with reality, it sort mm. of fails.
It's a small party, the SDP, mm. obviously. Uh, there's a lot of muffled talk at the moment about parties all joining up, you know, mm. because uh, and who are we talking about? Reform, Reclaim, mm. uh, a few other much smaller ones. Um, is that something you would see as being viable for the SDP? Our, our position's a little bit distinct. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not wanting to, uh, you know. Um, refuse to work with other small parties. I will talk, and we do talk with each other and we know each other. Um, but the, our economics is usually the stumbling block in trying right. to, I mean, for instance, if you, if you, if you said, you know, do we, do we agree on reform uh, of the voting system? Yes, we do. Are we antagonistic to, to, to work progressivism? Yes. Are we patriotic? Yes. And so it's a lot of, lot of uh, common ground there. And I think we should focus on that. But uh, on, on something like, you know, nationalisation of utilities and uh, nationalisation of the railway system. I mean, a part of our patriotism on that is that, that we should have a railway system that we're proud of. Other countries have this. Uh, the, the Tories, um, it's not that they don't think that nation states can run their railway system, because actually, after all, they, the French nation state runs ours, mm -hmm. the Dutch nation state. So they, 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 we would have... On something like that, Peter, we would have we would we would nationalise the railways. We, we would seek a, a royal charter, and we would have royal British railways from from forget Scotrail from from Caithness to Cornwall, and we'd have it as as an emblem of pride. And we'd probably build the 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 rolling stock here. And that's the, but you know the other thing is housing. Housing is probably the biggest issue which is affecting young people, and I think the only way you solve that is by the state getting back in the business of building. Uh, social housing in large numbers. It's got to be combined with an immigration uh, policy as well. But but that again, you know, when we argue for that, I'm afraid to say Corbyn is right about how social housing. I mean, you need to, we need millions of new houses, and and the state. The only way you could do it effectively is for the state to put its shoulder behind that. And I would argue, as a social conservative, that is the social conservative policy because if you deny uh, the chance for young people to to, to meet get a house or a flat and raise a flat. If you're denying that, you're not a social conservative. You, you're serving other uh, interests. So we, to answer your question, I, I'm very happy to talk and we are talking uh, to other parties. And if we can, if we together, we can get a, uh, an electoral uh, cooperation system going together in the next election, I, I'll, I'll be up for that. Cause you, you know, but I'm not, but what I can't do, I mean, A, what we can't, we've survived for 40 years, so mm -hmm. we're not, there's no, there's no chance of a merger at all. You wouldn't survive this long unless you're committed to it. But B, on a, on a sort of electoral programme, we would struggle to put one together that would have any meaning if we gave all the economics away. So that's, yes. that's but on, a, on electoral cooperation, I'm, I'm quite keen on that. I'm surprised actually, William, that uh, <coughs> people see it as a stumbling block about, for example, the railways. Mm. Um, I find that's a very popular. It is I'm very popular. Sure. I, I'm, it's happening I'm anyway. With it. Yeah, it's happening you know, anyway. I, I want to go back to the days when we were called passengers, not customers. Yes. Simple yes. as that. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, it annoys me that something yeah. is now somehow seen as something we should be grateful for. Yeah. You know, to, you know, to, I totally agree. No, I think they, but also just the whole, the, the, my, my basic crit criticism, I have a lot of conservative friends and, I, and they're, they're a great company, but the, my basic criticism of the Tory party is its indifference. Mm. It's, it's, they think th things don't matter. 
when they do. I mean, they think, I think it's a humiliation. When you come out of Newcastle Central Station, you, you're quite close to the old engineering uh, shops where Stevenson built the first trains. And when I see a Deutsche Bahn loco there, and, and uh, you know, proudly on the, I, I just think it's slightly nationally humiliating. And a, lot of, and a sensible country wouldn't do that. Mm. It's the same, Peter, on things like nuclear power. A few years ago, the, our conservative government was thinking about you know, having the Chinese Communist Party effectively control part of our nuclear power. I mean, that's not just indifference. That's where indifference goes into negligence and stupidity, in my view. So you've got to, we've got to get some national pride back into these things, mm. start doing a few things ourselves. And that's why I think the sort of slightly lefty, Attlee-like sort of Brexit, Peter Shaw-type Brexit image mm. is the only one that really makes sense. And I think the world is turning in, in our, in our favour. Yes, I would have thought on those sorts of issues, that's definitely. Yes. On the housing issue, I mean, you know, when I was on the London Assembly, for example, uh, housing was a massive thing. Uh, you had to talk all the time about supply. Mm. You could never talk about the demand side mm. of stuff, mm. because what that meant is you then have to start talking about immigration Quite, as well. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the population of London, well, it's now going down because people have left, but was exponentially rising mm. and will continue to... And not to be able to say, well, one of the reasons for this, of course, is, is huge migration. Obviously. Unprecedented Obviously. migration. You know, yeah, so. you can't know, it's, it, but it's one of these, I mean, as a proponent of, you've heard of Blue Labour and, mm. and, and Philip Blonde's Red Tory thing. We're a bit like that, not exactly, but often the solution is in a combination of red and blue. So on housing and immigration, the solutions are to be found with a blue policy, which is reduce immigration significantly, mm -hmm. and a red policy, which is get your, get your state get its shoulder behind house building, take yeah. on the vested interests of the, the big house builders and build some houses so, so people can start families. That is the only policy that works. I mean, it, Labour's policy, Corbyn's policy was an open door on migration and building, there was no point. Mm. What is the point? Likewise, the Tories say they want low immigration, but they never do it, but won't build any, you know. I mean, I honestly think, I, again, I won't be too hard on the Tories, but the, I, or, despite all the, anti-British rhetoric and the wokery and all the, all the stuff we're suffering at the moment. I'm not actually sure that Conservative Party policy on housing is more anti-social than that, in aggregate, because it's literally you don't know the names of the people that would have been born. Mm. And, and a lot of kids just can't have, mm. can't raise families. And, and I don't know how they can go to the electorate claiming to be Conservatives mm. and, and, and offering that and not doing the about it. So I think we we can do better, and we will. I think the point there as well is that I would agree with you totally, is that we have people who are just free market fundamentalists, mm. quite a few around here actually, mm. uh, mm. who they draw a total blank on any kind of what you might call, say, ideas of patriotism. Mm. Like I think you more or less explain yeah. that. They yeah. totally don't, they don't get it. Not interested. It's no. all about the market will sort it out. Well, I'm sorry, but the market mm. won't always sort it out. But also, just in terms of, I think it's because they're edu it, it is parallel to their social liberalism. Because we've had 20, 30, 40 years of, it's all about me. Mm. And I think that's the, the, mm. the, the point. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the I-we balance or the me-us balance. Mm. And anyone looking at this must say, we've had sufficient prioritization of my rights, my situation. What, what's in it for me? It's I'm worth it. It's me, me, me all the time. And we need to, so you've, you've got all those rights-based ideas 
and people shedding their responsibilities to others. But we've forgotten about duty. Yeah. We've forgotten, and, and anyone looking at it seriously must get back to duty. So I think all of, a lot of what we're saying has a very long tail politically, Disraeli and, and, and probably certainly post-war Attlee mm. thinking and, and mm. patriotic Labour thinking until about the 50s and 60s is very much what we're about. Mm. And, you know, it has a place, and I think that's the solution. To, if you've, it's simple overreach. I think, mm. you know, again, we've, we've had overreach. Most people feel it. They're, they want to... The only way you can have meaning in life is actually being committed to something other than yourself. Mm. And I think that people get that. If we can just turn uh, a bit to uh, today and various ha mm. events happening. Mm. Uh, recently we had the attack and, well, the murder uh, of Sir David Amis um, down in Leon C. Uh, what, what do you make, William, of the reaction, the political reaction to that? Um, well, it was it was an appalling event, and I think people were shocked, as mm. they always are when these things happen. But I think the sadly the political reaction was predictable and inadequate. Mm. Um, so after the initial shocks, people start talking about uh, throwing up issues which are not directly related to what's happened. So they start talking about uh, online comments or commentary. Uh, and so on, and that's not really the cause of this particular thing. The cause of this thing is uh, Islamist ideology, and frankly, it would have been better to, if you're going to ask a question, ask a question as to why we have an open border on the south coast, why we can have, I think there's some 18,000 people have arrived unchecked, undocumented, unvetted, uh, and that seems to be acceptable. How many people? You only have to look at the Manchester outrage. Mm. That was someone that came through a migration route as a refugee. Uh, so I, I would want a little bit less throwing up of, of, of questions about what people do on Twitter uh, and a, a more serious approach to our border security, which I think has been... I mean, the, the what's happened on the South Coast, again, I think has been... Uh, an outrage and people say well it's only a small proportion of total migration but it's an important one because um, uh, it saps people's confidence in the system I think if you allow in a particularly in a democracy where people pay in, you have this idea of contribution you have you pay into a system of the welfare state and for people just to wander in uh, from a safe country France mm. undocumented mm. And the political class seems to be unable to address it properly, even though there's a, there's a perfectly viable solution, particularly now as we're out of the European Union, which the Australians have put into practice and it works. Uh, and it's not addressed. So I, I would say, yeah, desperately sad event. I think the, the political commentary is, uh, is inadequate. It, 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 is, it seems to be getting more, more so. I think it's sort of mm. almost there's no acknowledgement now. Um, there is amongst ordinary people, yeah, you know, voters, uh, but amongst the political class, mm. it's just, it won't get there. Interesting thing was when Joe Cox was murdered, quite mm. rightly, mm. you know, there was a whole examination of what this meant and, mm. and the culture from which this this particular man emerged who, mm. who killed him. Mm. Uh, this does not happen. It's just not allowed no. when it's... Uh, it's well, there the may be, I mean, apart from cynicism, there may be just uh, one of the reasons that possibly explains it mm. is that people are just unwilling to accept what's what's happening. Mm. I mean, people are, you know, you've got thousands of people being monitored. Mm. This is a, a major problem in the country. 
And, you know, prevent doesn't seem to work. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be working. And uh, perhaps people would just sooner turn, turn, turn the, you know, turn another way. That's, that's... On the other sort of huge ongoing issue that we've had uh, of COVID, uh, do you think, uh, because we're hearing muffled talk about this too, mm. uh, do you think there will be a lockdown or restrictions again and if so what, what's your attitude i mean you're hearing this sort of yeah, we're being can, softened up well what you what you're seeing peter is a is, is a dust up between the interest groups really so the people representing the nhs are arguing now and a lot of the some of the people on the committees are arguing for a more draconian measures but actually i i may be wrong in this but i think uh my reading of, of the johnson government is that they're done with lockdowns and i really hope that's the case i mean you, you know if you've if you can't take the win on vaccinating uh, 90 odd percent of the public, uh, you can't take any win. I mean, you, you know, you, I think the broadly speaking, the vaccination process has knocked an, an order of magnitude off the death rate. So mm -hmm. COVID w is down to where flu, a flu would be. Mm -hmm. And unless you have some sort of secular change in risk pref uh, toleration, which you might be, I mean, I hope we're not, but if you are, uh, then, then you, you can't have lockdowns. You know, yes. you've done, we've, we've done that. I mean, we we were we supported the first lockdown. It was unusual, you know, situation, but it was hung on a particular peg to get NHS capacity up, and they keep on changing the goalposts. And after that, we've been pretty implacably against lockdowns because I, I think for perfectly rational reasons. Because I don't think the government the government had two committees advising them on how to smash a, a viral curve, mm. but they had no committee, no committee to advise them on the aggregate trade-off and the costs now and in the future of the suppression measures. They, mm. they didn't even try and quantify or calculate it. And I think it'll be seen as a, a, a major problem of government policy in the future when, when the tail effect of the death rate from the suppression measures alone will come through. And I wouldn't be at all surprised whether many more people have died as a result of that, but that will be probably buried in the future. I mean, do you wear a mask or, or would you not wear one now? Or? Well, I wouldn't, no, I mean, in a, in a, if I was asked to do in a, in a very tight situation in a room, I probably would, but uh, I'm, I, I don't wear a mask on the train hmm. and you see it, you know, I come up and down from, from, to London quite a lot and, you know, a couple of months ago, everyone was wearing masks and then, you know, it's a three hour journey, Peter, so you, you don't really want to be wearing a mask if you don't have to. And uh, I think mask wearing now is about 30, 40% on the, on the train from Newcastle. Yes, I'd say 50, 50. Yeah, yeah and, and so that's encouraging. And I think, you know, I think you only have to look at the consequences of the sort of pandemic in terms of public fear to see people wearing masks in the street, which is I think it's very sad because there's no, there's no rational basis to do that at all, but you still see it. And I think so, uh, no, I think we need to get back to get the offices open. We're a social species. We want to get back to the common life don't we oh absolutely you still see people small on my way here today mm. a young guy walking along on his own no mm. one on the huge one of these real mm. industrial masks mm. you know i mean like you know he took he's taking it very seriously yes um, i always sort of feel also it's a comment on oneself when they do that you know it's almost like mm. you know, commenting on being irresponsible or something yes um you mentioned coming up and down on the train. Where mm. are you coming up and down from? Northumberland. Is that where you're from? Yeah, originally I was born in Durham and uh, yeah, I went to school in North Yorkshire and then Birmingham to university. And then I lived in London for, for many years, yes. uh, Australia for a while, and then went back to the northeast. So, yeah. Australia? Yeah. What yeah. were you doing there? 
well, we were having. I worked as a disc jockey actually for a while. Really? Yeah, funnily enough, yeah. But uh, no, we were just waiting for our first boy to be born. My wife's Australian, yeah. so yeah, we were in rural New South Wales uh, most of the time. Did a little bit of travelling and then came back. Yeah. So you were working as a disc jockey. What? Uh, in Armadale. Sorry. In Armadale, little place in New, Sa- in New South Wales. Yeah. I yeah. see. Uh, yeah. Playing records. records yeah, and, uh, yeah, doing a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. What kind of? What music do you? Well. Have? Well, well, it was mainly rock and pop. But in the interesting thing in those days, that the uh, is this the nineteen eighties? It was it was sort of yeah, um, 90, 92, 93, Yeah, uh, but they, they the Australian government had a a, a a rule that you had to play a certain percentage of Australian. Really? Yeah. So you, and and the, the Kiwis were involved as well. Yeah. So in, in getting the schedule of music we'd play, uh, you had to you had to you know play split ends, crowded house. You know, whatever you had to play Australian bands, ACDC, and 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 if you didn't play twenty percent, you're in trouble. It's it's a bit like the French. You know how the French yes, have these, exactly. these cultural things. Yeah, so it was yeah. interesting getting that right. You could squeeze people in, so well, that's just about Australian. So I suppose ZZ Top, they were just before. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> were, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do it for a long time, but it, it was it was good. It was and it was a, I have very fond memories. And of course, our first born was uh, born there, and all I have three boys, and they're, they're all sort of. Being an Anglo-Australian family is, is part of our culture, and we sort of go back and forth a little bit. The kids. Well, so, if your wife's Australian, what what's her view, indeed, your view on what what's happening in Australia? It, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. You just wouldn't think some things of certain countries. I I, mm. I couldn't have imagined that Australia mm. would have reacted to the whole pandemic in a way it seems to have done it's a strange it's a really strange thing because it's you know it's like the first shall be last and the last shall be first so the countries i mean new zealand and australia were praised weren't they for this ultra Mm. to some extent that was that's i could follow it because they had hardly any cases in their islands and i mean you know australia became an autarky didn't effectively mm-hmm. uh you know and, and uh my wife actually had to go back and quarantine so we've had family members quarantine twice in, in in australia um the the level of draconianism actually doesn't surprise me that much the there was a there was a creeping the, the state's very rich mm-hmm. they're one of the countries that's had a, uh you know economic growth without any recession for the best part of 30 years so the state gets quite big and it gets quite bossy uh, you know, so mandatory bicycle helmet wearing, things like that were, were part of what the state was doing right. in Australia. So in a sense, it doesn't surprise me that much. It disappoints me. And I think, I think let's hope that they will, uh, you know, eventually just buck up and realise, jab the, jab the population and open up. But it, do, it is a warning because if you, it's almost the, 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 the less you're affected by something, the more you're worried about it. Yes, That's yeah. a strange thing about yeah. the Australian example, where you just, you just lose the ability to, to act normally. So I'm crossing my fingers. You know. When was the last time you were there, though? Uh, I was there about five years ago, but, but um, my wife goes, goes back and forth a little bit more often. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got to come back. It, it, but it is, it's been an interesting one, yeah. After the uh, being a disc jockey, what what, what was your work? I mean, what, well, I was I was I was I did t- I wanted to do philosophy as a degree when I was eighteen, and and uh, probably correctly I didn't do that. I did town planning, so I I, I trained as a pl- uh, did planning degree in Birmingham, and then came down and worked for the city of Westminster. That was my first job, and it's actually around this patch. So, uh, you know, you're doing development control. I did about three hundred and fifty uh, cases, and so a lot of round here, I mm. I've 
has my name on it, approving or refusing planning permissions. Uh, and then I switched and did surveying, uh, and then got into building uh, some housing, but mainly commercial uh, uh, development. So I did that for the best part of uh, 25 years. Yeah. So have you always been political during that time? I, I was, I was, my father was in the Labour Party, and he, he was a founder member of the SDP. So he, oh, right. yeah, he... Um, he, 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 that I was sort of in the blood, really. I mean, the, the whole of the 80s thing, I was an active social democrat. Uh, and then when it faded away, I, I was out of politics for many years, but, but a friend got me back into it, uh, uh, who's mayor of Hexham, actually, um, where I, close to where I lived, and said you should get involved with the Tories. And I said, well, I'm not really a Tory, I'm more a social democrat. And he said, it doesn't matter, William. He said, as long as you've got regular features and clean fingernails, we'll have you. <laughs> so it's a di difficult attitude. But anyway, so I was, I was, a, uh, I was a Tory for four years, uh, became a councillor, and I, was, um, I stood for Parliament in the Keep the Pound election in 2001, you know, the, the, uh, under William Hague's leadership uh, in North West Durham. And, and it was a good experience, but I, wasn't, I was never really comfortable being in the mm. Tory party. My economics are too, are too left wing, mm. really, for, for the Tories. I made a lot of friends and, and, and I learned, it was very useful for me, actually. I learned a lot about the Tory party being in it, but I was never, I think four years was, was sufficient. You know, you, you mentioned earlier about being, having something that you care about, which is outside of yourself. Mm. You know, I think many of us in, pol in politics, uh, I put it like that rather mm. grandly, but uh, mm. you know, I suppose we would say it's politics, but what, what do you care about outside of politics? Are you, are you a man of faith? Are you a I'm, not a, I'm a churchgoer, but I, I'm not a believer. Um, and my wife's a, a, a Roman Catholic who's lapsed as well, so it's an... an you're still a churchgoer, but you don't... You're I'm not a believer, no. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, my sort of faith system is Epicurean, really. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I went back to university to, do, to, read, politics, to, to read philosophy later, and um, philosophy's a, a big part of my life and a, a, is a passion. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I was glad I sort of did, did what I wanted to do at 18 mm. in the end. I always remember George Melly, the uh, jazz, it's one of my favorite quotes of all. George Melly was, was next to his father and his father was on his deathbed. And he said, have you got any advice for me? And his father said, yes, do what, do what you want. I never did. Oh. Which I think, within reason, is is mm. is, is very good advice. Mm. Um, so yeah, philosophy is is a is a is a, a big part. But would you call yourself then a cultural Christian? Is that that's yes? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yes, totally. Yes. No, I, I as I say, I mean, I think a congregation, uh, and often I go on my own. I mean, Northumberland has we have wonderful churches, and I, on a Sunday morning I'll generally cycle and mm. I have a few favourites that I go and, and and just spend some time in. But normally a congregation is full of people not everyone believes not everyone can believe and some people i think it was cameron who quite cleverly said you know what about your faith and he said it was a bit like the reception on uh can't remember which radio station it comes and it goes mm -hmm. no, but a lot of people are like that i don't think i can believe but i think we we've lost something profound i think i think it wasn't all about belief it was about belonging yes and i think we need to we need to find that somewhere so, and, and interestingly, a lot, a lot of young social democrats, particularly the young social democrats, are started, a lot of them are starting to go back to church, have an interest in Roman Catholicism and things, you know, so they, they perhaps there's a yearning, perhaps uh, this Generation Z is much more, uh, for social conservatives, is much more promising than the millennials. So we'll see what happens. It's interesting, one hears these discussions an mm. awful lot now mm. about religion, you know, just the, the, the role it should play. Mm. Um, 
We're recording this the end of this week, November 6th. Mm. Um, you uh, have your conference. Mm. Uh, now, you've got some good speakers. Can you tell mm. us who's, who's coming to your conference? Yeah, uh, so we've got uh, David Starkey speaking. He's opening up in the morning. Uh, and then we've got uh, Frank Fioredi. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll, it's a very interesting figure, Frank. Uh, interesting sociologist, always worth listening to. Uh, I'll speak after lunch. Then we've got Claire Fox. Mm -hmm. Patrick O'Flynn will be speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, Rod Little, interestingly, will be comparing. Oh, the, right. Yeah. Well, he's the master of He is in the... Uh, <laughs> yes, he particularly asked. So every, everyone's speech will be marked on his card. We've got Lionel Shriver. Oh. Uh, Mohammed Abbasi is coming along, who's uh, director of the Association of British Muslims. And so, yeah, it's a... It's, it's, uh, it's it a, sounds quite a cerebral gathering. Eric Kaufman as well. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, the, I think it's a streak in the SDP, which I'm happy with. I yeah. mean, some people say we're, we're perhaps not as strong on the, on the sort of retail end of politics. But I, I think one, one, the thing that we've done rightly, I think, is get the foundations of what we believe sorted out. You know, think about mm -hmm. what you believe. And that's mm -hmm. why we did the new declaration. And that's why, you know, things like the green, the new green paper, the end of difference is very important because, you know, take time, think about things carefully and put out quality uh, mm. stuff. And that's basically what the SDP is, is trying to do. Well, that's great. Do, can, do you have to be a member to come? Um, you do, unless you get on my guest list. Oh, right. okay. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. I'll leave that up to people to yes. wear that one out. But, um, well, look, I hope it goes well. And Thank all the you. best for the SDP. It's very kind. Thank and um, thanks very much indeed for, for coming on. Will you? A real pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's it for this week. We shall see you next time and uh, take care. Thank you.